0: Well, good morning. Uh, My name's Adam. I'm the discipleship pastor here, and uh, it's really exciting to be headed back towards reentry. It's been good to connect online, but it's really good to be in this room and to be able to sing worship and and just to know that we were joined around this area with people singing the same song, unified in, in what we're doing. It's an incredible thing, the church because it's it's about being sent out. It's about going out and changing the world. And, and I was thinking about today, all of the people who've made a significant difference in my life. Zach, who first invited me to church. Chris, who believed in me when I was an awkward middle school student and wouldn't give up on me. Those, those two guys alone, I could talk for hours about how much they've poured into me and believed in me and been generous with their time with me. And so today, as we talk about, and, and we're going into a series called Live Generously, I want to put you at ease for a second because we're not talking about money today. We're talking about generosity from a lifestyle standpoint, from a perspective and a way of looking at the world that I have something to offer. And specifically today, we're talking about generosity from a a discipleship perspective. That when we look at people, do we believe that they can be what Jesus wants them to be? Irenaeus said, the glory of God is man fully alive. Or as Jesus put it in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. And so do we believe that's true, not just for ourselves, but do we believe that's true for others? Do we believe in that potential for someone else? Because this is the whole crux of the Great Commission, that we're not only to be discipled, but we're to go and disciple someone else, to put ourselves in a place where we're, open with our lives, and we're letting people learn from the redemption in our own life. And so this whole series focuses around sort of one question. Are we willing to live with our lives wide open so that others may see the work of God in our lives? And that's a really sort of simple sentence or question to ask, but it becomes harder when something gets exposed in your life, when bitterness or resentment or evil or hatred gets pulled out of your life by the working of the gospel in your life. In order to teach people from our own redemption, we have to show them our brokenness. We have to be willing to say, yeah, I was once this, but Jesus has made me this. And you got to be willing to own The crap in your own life to generously share from the lessons of your mistake. And so, will we be generous? Will we be generous with our time and the life lessons that we've learned? Paul is a key figure in the development of the church. He, he lived the end of his life generously in order to, to develop churches and help others come to know Christ. In 2 Timothy 1, through 3-7, just listen to how he writes about his disciple, Timothy. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see that you may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm convinced is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Paul poured his life, his full compassion and care into his disciples. He knew that this is what his life was about, to pour into others the life that Jesus has invited us all into. But Paul wasn't always that way. You probably know the story. Paul was a glad murderer of Christians. He willingly participated in the persecution of the first followers of Jesus. Paul, who went by Saul then, was a well-educated man. He was rising up in the ranks. and In, in Acts 8.1, it says that Paul agreed with putting him to death in reference to the first martyr of Christendom, Stephen. He was happy about Stephen stoning. And then he has this conversion in Acts 9, this incredible experience and this incredible encounter with Jesus where he's on the road and he gets knocked off and he gets knocked around and he's like, what is happening? He says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus responds to him that he needs to go and be about what, he says, I'm the one that you're persecuting, Paul, Saul. And so you need to be on my team, And you need to go to Damascus, and you're going to have an experience there. And Paul gets up, blinded, and he listens and obeys. This well-educated, powerful man falls under the lordship of Jesus, and he goes and he listens and he obeys. And from that moment on, Paul was well-accepted in the Christian community, went on to live happily ever after within the story, except not exactly. Because after the conversion story, Paul was carrying with him a reputation. Paul was carrying with him the past mistakes that he had made. Paul was carrying with him the label murderer, persecutor, bully. And someone else had to enter his story and be willing to tell him the truth. Ananias, it's recorded in Acts chapter, chapter 9, verses 10 through 14, it says this. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight. The Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and asked for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he's been praying there. In a vision, he had seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has authority here with the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias is like, are you, God, are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure you told me to go sit in a room with the one who is gladly looking on, who is accepting, who is happy with Christians being put to death, and I follow you. I wear your name proudly, but you want me to go sit in a room with him? He has authority to do unbelievable things to me. Paul's reputation was already putting barriers up between him and who he was supposed to be. But Ananias went and he listened. And after days of this experience, Paul, the very first thing he does is he goes to be baptized. Then he goes to eat. And then he goes to start spreading the gospel within Damascus. And he does an incredible job of preaching and sharing the gospel because he made such a ruckus that almost immediately, Paul goes from being the one killing Christians to wanting to the rulers and authorities that are wanting to kill him. The disciples that he's already made in that city have to sneak him out in a basket through a hole in the wall of the city. And he has to flee because there's a plot to kill Paul. But he goes on from there, gladly accepted and welcomed in the community of disciples because he had done such good work in Damascus. Except no, not quite. Because the story continues in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 26. When he, Paul, arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they did not believe that he was a disciple. The disciples let Paul's reputation keep them from believing that a man like that could be saved by the same gospel that had saved them. It was fear. It was justified fear. I mean, Paul had been killing Christians, and now he wants to come join in with them. They're like... "Uh." I don't know about that because at any minute they could be murdered, brutally murdered because of their faith. Christians were being persecuted heavily in that time. And now the very one that was overseeing that persecution is like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you now. He could have been a spy. He could have been anything. And so they're, they're letting his past keep them from believing that the future that Jesus is writing for them is real. But in Acts nine twenty seven we see something important. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly the name of Jesus. Barnabas, however. Those are two important words in the development of the church. Barnabas stood in the gap. Barnabas said, I believe this man and I believe in this man because I believe that Jesus' power at work in his life is significant to turn a murderer into an ally. How often do we let our notions of someone, maybe because of their past, talk us out of redemption's potential in their life? And maybe I need to say that a little more pointedly to myself. How often do I, how often do I let my preconceived notions of someone or their past talk me out of investing in them, full of grace, ready for to see transformation take place? From the very beginning of the church, we see that prejudices and preconceptions of people needs to be called out and rooted out. Barnabas, an insider, stood up for Paul, a former outsider, so that he could find his place in the community of believers. And so we walk in a tradition of inclusive grace and powerful transformation. The work of God in our life should propel us from seeing past generalizations and allowing us to see the unique individual. We need to be people who see in our neighbors and in our friends the unlimited potential of the work of God. We believe easily that God can do incredible and amazing things in our own life. I believe in redemption's potential for myself. Redemption gives us permission to dream about what our future can be because our eternity is secure. And so we can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and we can believe that God is gonna do amazing things through us in spite of our past. It's easy to believe for ourselves. It's discipleship to believe it for somebody else. And so if you have accepted what God has done for you on the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you need to dream unlimited dreams for the people that you're going to invest in. We are supposed to learn from people, but we're also supposed to teach people. It's that standing in the middle that is discipleship. We're constantly learning and we're constantly teaching. We're constantly being filled up and we're constantly pouring out. That's what it is. And there are legitimate excuses, right? I mean, there's legitimate insecurity. I don't know if I have anything to teach. I don't know if I have anything worthwhile to pour into somebody else. Or I don't have time. I'm very busy. I don't know if I have time for something else. But can I tell you the discipleship isn't something else? It is the thing. And if you've learned anything, you have something to teach, if you have learned anything about following Jesus, you have something to teach about following Jesus. Whether it's being rooted and reflecting on Scripture each day and reading Scripture each day to better understand it and telling people that, just that simple truth. You have something to teach. And we all have lots to learn. But we're all invited to be Barnabas to somebody to stand in the gap and say, no, I believe in them. I believe that Jesus can do something incredible in their lives because he's done something incredible in my life. And so I refuse to give up on their potential. I absolutely refuse to give up on their potential because the Holy Spirit does miracles. And I won't let their past or my prejudices stand in the way. I won't allow it. Go back to what, Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. The call is to live unafraid in the power, in the love, and the sound judgment of the kingdom of God And so if we're going to have good judgment and to live generously believing in each other, we need to know the life that we're called, which is outlined in Scripture. We have to know what a life with Jesus looks like. This is where good judgment comes from. This is where life is outlined. And so daily read and reflect on and understand the life that Jesus has for us and be learning from somebody and be teaching somebody and figure it out and, and understand what this life and this invitation is. I'm standing here on this stage because Zach, Chris, Brian, Chris, Rick, Mike, Rich, Marty, all of these people saw somebody like me and said, there's something there. I believe that God can do something with somebody even like that because I was nobody from nowhere. And now I have eternal significance in the kingdom of God because Jesus said so and because people were willing to walk alongside me. And so how dare I stop that chain because of my own insecurities, because of my own fear, because of my own busyness. How dare I stop the work of God because I'm unwilling to step in the gap. God will accomplish his work, but he just wants to do it with you as part of the party. He just wants you to be able to see the change that will happen in somebody else's life, the significant and miraculous and unbelievable change that will happen in somebody else's life when we take seriously the invitation to live wide open so that other people can learn from my mistakes, which means exposing your mistakes and letting them see what a life following Jesus is really looks like. If we're going to live generously, I think we need to start with this foundation, that my life is wide open. My schedule, my finances, my family, my friends, my work, all of it is wide open to be used by God for this single work of redemption, this advancement of the kingdom of God this living fully alive to the glory of God, this full life that Jesus has invited us into, my whole life is to make sure that that keeps going generation after generation after generation. It's impossible to not notice the imitation of of your children in your own life. I see in Cohen and Emery some really silly things sometimes. I mean, even from the way that Cohen sits in the car, I, I remember sitting in the backseat of the car and wishing that my arm was long enough so that I could put my arm up in the window like my dad did because then it'd be cool like my dad. And I see Cohen searching for that same thing in the Im- Im- imitation of me because he looks at me as a as a way of looking at life we have to have that same sort of impact on somebody else in the kingdom of God who's not where you are but's going to be where you are we have to pour out our lives and live generously and live wide open and so the question is will you go and live your life wide open so that others will see the work of God in your life? Will you go? Because somebody needs you to be their Barnabas, to stand up for them and to say, no, no, I believe in them. I believe in them because redemption gives us permission to dream. Grace gives us an invitation to join in the party. And so let's not stop what God wants to advance, but let's live in courage and in boldness, willing to invite people along on the journey. Will you pray with me? God, give us courage to live out this radical invitation, this unbelievable invitation, that you give to each of us to both be discipled and to disciple somebody else, to learn and to teach, and all the while to figure it out. Your grace gives us permission to make mistakes and move on. Help us to lay down our preconceptions, our prejudices, our view of somebody's past, and to see Redemption's potential. God, we are blown away that you would include people like us in your story. Give us courage to live in that. We love you and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.